This evening we're going to be live streaming, and so we're going to uh, look at Second uh, Samuel, the last part of Second Samuel 11, the first part of Second uh, Samuel chapter 12. And uh, tonight I wanted us to look at whatever became of sin. Uh, Dr. Carl Minninger, for many years, was synonymous with the practice of psychiatry. Uh, he lived to be 96 years old and was writing books and practicing at least until he was 96 or 97. What he did, he sought to analyze and solve problems, world problems, with the application of psychiatry. In his book, Whatever Became of Sin, uh, he looked at the wi worldwide problems of gloom, apprehension, depression, discouragement, and he traced many of those back to the actual problem of sin. And he called for a universal recognition of sin as a preventative against self-destruction. He had discovered what the Bible had always said, that we are sinners. We're sinners. And there's always a price for sin, whether it's physical or mental or spiritual or emotional. Sin affects every area of our lives. That's why Jesus came and died on the cross in my place and your place. You don't have to go very far to see sin. It's evidenced on our airways, whether it's radio or TV or live streaming on YouTube or different things. You can see sin in its many forms in our land and around the world. It is a universal problem because we are sinners. And almost any passage and any character in the Bible can be used to illustrate sin. I've chosen to use uh, the, the, the man after God's own heart, David. A man so close to God that he was a man after God's own heart. He is the shepherd king. He is the one who, who slew the giant. He is the one who victory after victory. But the time that I want to look at is his rebellion against God, his sin against God. And have some insights into sin. It starts off, and a messenger comes and says that many of the servants were killed, and, and Uriah the Hittite is dead also. And David basically says, oh, it's okay, because he had set this up for Uriah, one of his own mighty men, one of his own close associates, one of his own friends, to die so he could cover up his sin with Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. Verse 26 of chapter 11 says, When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. And then we go to 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David. And he came to him and said to him, There were two men in one city, one rich, the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food, drank from his own cup, and lay in his bosom. And it was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man, who refused to take from his own flock, and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for him. For the man who had come to him 
So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the, Lord's live, the man, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this will surely die. And he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing, because he had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. You're the one, David. You've done it. Thus says the God of Israel. I anointed you as king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. Uh, I gave you your master's house and your master's wives and your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You've taken his wife to be your wife, and you have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, because you've despised me and taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house. I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your lives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly. But I will do this thing before all Israel, before the son. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. However, because by this deed you've given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also who is born to you shall surely die. Then Nathan departed to his house. Let's pray. Father, as we look at what happened to sin, whatever happened to it, Father, would you teach us uh, to repent? Would you teach us to draw near to you? Would you teach us and empower, empower us by your Holy Spirit to uh, not let sin reign over us? And Father, would you help us to remember that we are sinners saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And praise you because of that. In these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Whatever became of sin. We're going to look at three things from the life of David that we need to remember about sin. First over, first off is this. Whatever became of the reality of sin. The reality of sin. is described in the first seven verses that we talk about. It's the reality of sin. You see, first of all, point A is observation teaches us of the reality of sin. I don't know if you've ever done it, but when you observe people, I don't much care for going shopping. But I don't mind it if Elizabeth let me sit and watch people. I enjoy watching people. I like to watch their interaction with one another. I like the, to watch how uh, they decide on what purchases they're making. I like uh, to especially watch the children and see how they uh, react to different things. And there's some things that I've learned you don't have to teach children. You can sit back and help take care of uh, those that are in our, our little bitty section back in the nursery. Or you can work with the preschoolers and teach them about Jesus. And you learn some things very quickly. Um, the thing is, you don't have to teach a child how to lie. They know how. They get in trouble, they'll lie to your face. You can watch them hit another child and say, did you do that? And they'll say, no, I didn't. And you saw them do it. And you can tell them I saw you. And they say, I didn't do it. You don't have to teach a child to do that. You don't have to teach a child how to be selfish. They see something they want at that young age, and they try to take it. 
away from somebody else. You don't have to teach them to be violent. To get with their way, they'll do that because of their selfishness. There are some things that you just don't have to teach a child. It amazed me that children can hear a bad word just out in public. They have no idea what it means, but they can use it in the proper context at the proper time and just insert it right there. You don't have to teach them how to do that. They have to be taught the word, but they know how to use it once they hear it. We need to understand that, that observation teaches us that sin is real. That we are sinners by nature and by choice. That's why the book of Romans in chapter 3, Paul says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The glory of God is Jesus Christ, the one who lived a sinless life. Do we understand that? Do we really get it that we are sinners. We have a propensity. That means a bend towards sin. We have an old sin nature living within us. That's why we have to become new people in Christ Jesus. We're so sinful that even the uh, <clears throat> Isaiah talked about it. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6, he says, All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 64, 6 says, But we are all like an unclean thing, and all our unrighteousness, or all our righteousness, are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Just simple observation of human behavior reminds us that sin is very real. In our day, we try to excuse it. We try to explain it away. We have neurosis, or we have uh, this disease, or that disease, or, you know, it was my upbringing, or it was my background, or it was because I was poor, or it was because I didn't have the right education, or, or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But the reality is we are sinners it's universal for all mankind. Not only does the observation teach us the reality of sin, point B is the experience we have teaches us the reality of sin. Experience, what we experience in this life, teaches us of the reality of sin. Do we understand when we consider our own lives, we see sin? Proverbs uh, <coughs> Said it this way, says in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, 12, Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way that seems right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Do we understand that? Do we get that? Uh, the end thereof are the ways of death. In Romans uh, chapter 7, verse 19, Paul says, The will we have, we don't know how to work. It says, because the good that we would do, we do not do. And the evil that we would not do, that very thing we do. See, there's that sin within us that we have to have help with. That sin within us that will rule our lives if we're not very careful. James 4.17 reminds us of some of those things when he says, uh, For him who knows to do good and does not do it, for him it is sin. Sin it's something we experience on a daily basis, whether it's our speech, our attitude, our self-centeredness, uh, our desiring things, our covetousness, if you would. Um, when we desire things that we don't have that belong to somebody else. Uh, 
So, observation teaches the reality of sin. Experience teaches the reality of sin. But listen to me. Uh, the Holy Spirit teaches us the reality of sin. Now, what do I mean by that? Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would teach the reality of sin. Uh, in John chapter 16, uh, beginning with verse 7, Jesus teaches that. Here's what he says in John 16, beginning with verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to the Father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the ruler of this world is judge. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. Before we're saved, He woos us and convicts us that we need to believe in Jesus because experience and observation has taught us that we are in sin and we can't handle it on our own. He draws us and we're saved and He resides within us and then He convicts us of sin. Stay away from that. Don't do that. Do that, but don't do the other. All these things teach us the reality of sin. And if you're within the sound of my voice and you think sin is an antiquated expression, if you think it's just the way they make people feel bad in church, if you think that it's just something that is uh, written long, long ago and, and we've overcome that with the way we have progressed or if you're an evolutionist, that we've evolved above that, then why is sin so prevalent in our world? Why are children abused, women abused? Why are people oppressed? Why, why, why? In the end, people start making excuses. Well, how could a good God let sin go on? Listen, a good God wanted a love relationship with you and with me. A good God did not want us to program us like uh, automatons. In other words, like robots where we couldn't go beyond our programming. We were programmed just to do good. Or we were programmed just to, to love Him because we had to. He wanted a free choice that we would love him and he would love us in a proper relationship. And so he gave us free will and free will led to sin. But he paid that price. He said, you don't have to suffer for your sins. Sins do not have to control you. No addictions, no uh, psychoses, no uh, this and that and the other, compulsions, however you want to say it. It's sin. Said, I paid the price for your sin by giving you my son, my only well-loved son, who died on the cross. His name was Jesus. He was buried. He raised the third day, winning death and victory over sin and death and the devil. And all you have to do is accept him, and you have that. But the reality is, you can't do it on your own. We are sinners. That's so why Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Let's go on. Not only what over became of the reality of sin, the second point, major point is, what became of the regret over sin. The regret over sin. What became of it? See, as 
Nathan the prophet is telling David this little parable about the guy who was rich and the guy who was poor. And the rich guy had many herds and flocks. And, and the poor guy had one little ewe lamb that was just a family pet and just followed him everywhere and laid down with him and all this stuff. And then when a traveler came, the rule of the day was when that traveler came uh, to be a host, to, to do as Father Abraham had done, you entertained strangers. Entertainment, they were under your protection. You provided the food for them and a place to stay. And, and rather than take from his flock, he took the one poor guy's lamb and had it slaughtered. David was so incensed, he said, this man will pay back and he'll surely die. And Nathan the prophet, in all of his courage, stood at the king who could have his life taken and pointed at David and said, David, you are the man. David, I know what you did in secret. God told me. You killed Uriah, the Hittite. You took his wife, his only wife, to be your wife. And now she's expecting a child. And that child, because of your sin, David, will not live. That child will die. And the sword will never leave your house. And trouble will arise from your own family for you. You did it in secret, but the Lord's going to do it in the open daylight. Oh, my goodness. What happened over the regret of sin? Regret comes, first of all, point A, because sin hurts God. Now, regret, it's more than being sorry. Regret is more than just sorry for getting caught. It should lead to godly repentance. Godly repentance means a change in direction. Godly repentance means I agree with God. It is sin. I'm leaving sin. I'm running back to God for forgiveness because I've asked Him to forgive me of my sins. We understand, though, that regret comes because sin hurts God. When we look at at 2 Samuel 11, verse 26 and 27... It said, when her time was over, David sent and brought Bathsheba into his house. She became his wife. She buries him in sin. But then it says this very interesting thing. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. It displeased the Lord. It didn't just say that God got angry. It didn't just say that God was troubled. The word there carries that he was displeased. It means he was hurt. All that he had done for David. All the special time they'd have together. A man after God's own heart could commit these atrocious sins of adultery and murder and trying to cover everything up and making hypocrisy that everything's okay as he sits on the throne as a murderer. And a man after God's own heart close to God could do that. Reminds us that sin is real and that it hurts God. And David starts having regret. How did he get to this point? How did he get so far from God? It started with one little sin back in chapter 11, the first two verses where it says, In the time of the year when the kings went out for war, David stayed in Jerusalem and sent the army on. He neglected his God-given responsibility. He neglected being where God had for him to be. We should always be where God intends for us to be or, or there's trouble at the doorstep. We see, regret comes because sin hurts God. Do we understand that? We sin against God and it, it hurts Him because He loves us so. You may think you have a little pet sin that nobody else knows about, but God knows. You may think that it doesn't hurt anybody, that you've got it under control, but God's hurt. 
that you would love that sin more than you love him. We need to repent of that. But regret comes point B because of sin destroys self. If you don't believe sin destroys self, you haven't read David's experience in Psalm. In Psalm 51, he really confesses his sin what it did. But in Psalm 32, he does also. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and whose spirit there is no deceit. He says, when I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality turned into the drought of summer, Salah. David says, I dried up on the inside. I didn't have the joy of my salvation. Sin was eating me alive is the way I'd say it. But verse 5 said, I acknowledge my sin to you. And my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Regret comes because it destroys self. Some sins are against self and we need to understand that. All sins are against God. And we need to understand that. But point C is regret comes because sin impairs human relationships. Think of it. From this point on, even though he's married Bathsheba, every time he looks at Bathsheba, he's going to remember what he did. And he's going to remember that he had Uriah, one of his mighty men, killed because of his lust. Because he wanted to cover up his sin. Uriah the innocent one, Uriah the one that was uh, right in the sight of God, Uriah, he killed him to gain this woman. That's always going to be in the middle of their relationship. But not only that, think about his relationship. Do you realize because of his sin, at least four sons of David died before Solomon became king? Because the sword would never leave his house as long as he lived. To this point, he knew unfettered relationship to God. His relationship to God is restored. God didn't hold it against him, but the consequences of sin was his family life was just destroyed. He set the example, and they followed right along. And his son suffered death because of his sin. It impairs human relationships. No matter what we think, when we sin, it affects others. When we sin, it affects those around us. And I'm going to say this. The more involved you are in God's kingdom work, the more involved you are in trying to do right, the more you're trying to mentor others and help others and, and help others to grow. And you're right there with them. And then you sin and they see it and it destroys something in your relationship. It hinders it. I have to be careful. You have to be careful. We've got to watch out and realize sin is real and realize there's regret over sin that hurts God and it hurts self and it impairs human relationships. The final thing, point three, is this. Whatever became of the repentance from sin, when you get to verses 13 and 14, David acknowledges his sin, yet... Nathan says, the Lord has removed your sin. You've repented. But the consequences are there. You see, repentance from sin, whatever happened to it. Some people want to just go on and not repent, but there needs to be repentance. Repentance has a supreme place. See, David's regret, his sorrows 
led to repentance. It's supreme. Nathan called David to turn in God's direction. And that's our supreme place to turn in God's direction. It has profound results. David's sin was forgiven. He's restored in his relationship. And profound means not just feeling sorry, but it means that turning. It means, it means a change. A change in direction. Lord, I've been going so far from you. I have sinned. I'm coming back. I'm going in the opposite direction of my sin. I'm following you. I'm walking with you. Repentance is key. It is a profound place in God's economy. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all righteousness. Do we understand that? We need to. And then, so it has a supreme place. It has a profound meaning. The profound meaning is that we're restored. We're restored. The joy of our salvation comes back. We can walk and we're washed clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. There's newness in our lives again. And then it has, point C, wonderful results. When David repented, he started anew. Life is being handled in a new direction. It removed, repentance removed the guilt of his sin. It affords new life in Christ. If you've ever been to New Orleans, there's a 26-mile bridge over Lake Pontchartrain. And they have something I hadn't seen before on a bridge. They have little ditties that they call turnarounds. It's a place where you're going in the wrong direction. You realize it. And somewhere before that 26 miles is over, they've got several of these little turnarounds where you can turn around and go back in the right direction. Turn around and go back the right way. Turn around and be headed towards home. God gives us turnarounds all along in life. God gives us turnarounds as we follow Him. God gives us turnarounds so we can repent. Some need to repent Tonight and be saved. Accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Repent. Place your faith in Him to save you. Let Him be your Savior and the boss of your life. And you turn around to newness of life. Some think you've gone too far, but you've never gone too far to God. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us all our sins. Do we understand that? Some need to come and rededication. Some might need, when we meet again, to join the church. Some need to come and follow the Lord obediently in believer's baptism. Whatever you need to do, you'll have a chance to do it as we meet again. But you can do it and get it settled right now in the privacy of your home watching this live stream. You can do it right now and ask God to forgive you. You can do it right now and then make it public when we meet again together, brothers and sisters. You do it right now. Go God's direction. Whatever became of sin. Let me tell you what became of it. It's still in the world, but you have forgiveness in Jesus Christ. You have victory in Jesus Christ. It no more has dominion over you in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the day. Thank you for all you're about. Help us to repent and turn to you. Help us to realize the reality of sin and guard against sin in our lives so it does not hinder our relationship with you. In Christ's name, amen. Have a good evening. That's all for now.